1: Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey do Shoes. Light, comfy,
3: good to go to. This podcast is proudly in association with Pitch Sport Football, the app that allows you to interact with other West Ham fans, pick your starting 11 and participate in fan time videos. This app is absolutely free, so like I've done, like X has done, and like thousands of other West Ham fans have done, get this downloaded if you haven't already. That's Pitch Sport Football. You're listening to the West Way Podcast with Dave and X. Oi, right. oi! Hello and welcome to the West Amway Podcast of myself, Dave Walker, and serial YTK blogger, XWHU employee. In the absence of a game to discuss, we'll be talking to Andy Byrne from the West End protest group Hammers United to understand who they are, what they've achieved and what they want to do moving forward. Andy will also take questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. Sandwiched in between this conversation will be the latest news and views from X. This is what's coming up on tonight's show. Andy, it's a pleasure to have you with us, mate. How are you keeping, pal? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Thank
0: you very much for having me on.
3: Tell us how Hammers United were formed.
0: Hammers United was formed by um, one person who wanted to make things better for West Ham fans, mate. It really is as simple as that. Someone who was disgruntled, frustrated with the way that the club was going. Someone who, unfortunately for him, um, took matters into his own hands Um. Reenacted the uh, the famous protest at a bond scheme and, and ran to the centre circle, corner flag in hand. Um, obviously got there and found out it didn't have a point on the bottom, so he couldn't stick it in the ground and held it up in the sky instead. Um, landed himself a football ban in order, and is um, you know will openly admit that he's he's put himself in a difficult position now. And there's things that he would like to do that he can't do. You know, not least go and watch West Ham, um, but also there's things for Hammers United that he'd like to do that he can't do. Um, but, you know, from, from that frustration came came conversation um, and he decided to to, to channel that in what, what he believes is the right direction. And it really was as simple as him sitting down with someone else in a pub over a beer saying, is there anything we can do? Is there a void we can fill? Is there, a, is there people, we can, people we, we can get together? And, and really, the, the question was as simple as, can we make things better for West Ham fans? Can we improve things at our football club? Um, Can we give it a go? And that really was the long and the short of how it came about.
3: Yeah. And the person in question is Paul Colbone, who is a.k.a. Bubbles. Um, How did you get involved with him and the rest of the crew on this?
0: Well, I was on my own um, own personal crusade, I guess you could call it to to try and um, uh, to try and prove some of the. some of the comments that are sometimes made about the owners of our football club, people, people sometimes accuse them of, um, of being dishonest. And I thought, well, can I find, can I actually find something where they have been dishonest? So, so I thought there's a, a quantifiable statement in the statement around the waiting list, fifty thousand. Um, so what I did was I began writing to the club about whether they could um, publish everyone's waiting list positions um, and prove that essentially prove that there were fifty thousand people on the waiting list. I had around a year's worth of correspondence um, and I ended up sending that correspondence to Hammers United um, and they, they called me and said, you know, I do I want to sit in on a committee meeting, see what the group's all about. Um, and it kind of went from there. Nice one, mate. And, and what is it, you know exactly?
2: Hammers United are about. Let's just say you're going to do your mission statement. You're going to sum up what what you stand for um, to to the listener, um, and just tell us what what exactly is the is the point of Hammers United?
0: Of course, yeah. I mean, what we stand for is um, is, is your club, your voice, really. So we're an independent supporters association, um, and we're FSA affiliated. And really, what we've what we've we've been working on. Um, since our incarnation was the first thing that our members asked us to work on, which was establishing an independent supporters group. Um, there are also two other things that we are we are currently working on. Um, one of them is quite a big project going on in the background that we have a lot of discussion around, which is if you like the the, the vision for for the future of the future of the supporters at the club the role that they might play um and then the other one is probably what a lot of people know us for and let's be frank probably what a lot of people joined up for um which is the fact that we our current position is one where um we would like to see a change in ownership at the club
2: so you've kind of spoke about that you want to enter dialogue with the with the club but you want to remain independent um uh, <laughs> How is that possible? I mean, we, like myself and Dave, we've been to these meetings. They, they talk about certain things, and you're told, right, you've got to sign a non-disclosure form. You can't talk about this outside. How, how are you going to be able to get the club to trust speaking to you, but then on the flip side, not uh, you know, not go against what you've just said there and be um, transparent and independent? I think it's a
0: difficult task, um, mate. And I think you know we we're fully aware that this has been. This has been tried um, many times before, and we're fully aware that people have been frustrated with how um, with how things have, have played out many times before. And we're we're under no illusions that me we may well try and fail. Um, and I'm sure our intentions are no different to anyone else who's, who's tried to go down this road before. And and those intentions, as I said, really are as simple as trying to improve things. Um, I think there's a couple of things that that stand us in relatively good stead. One would be that we've um, repeatedly refused the offer of the club to join the official supporters board. And as our membership has grown, I think that I think the club have um, have respected that and have, you know, to their credit, asked us to be involved in 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 creating an independent construct that we then invite them to. Um, I also think that that as an independent supporters group, um, a supporters group, if you like, who was not formed by the club, um we need to stay true to our members and 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 we can stay true to our members in terms of i think if we feel that you know the process is not a transparent one um is not a genuine one then you know we can report that back to our members and we can um step away and still remain uh an fsa affiliated group albeit one that wouldn't be in the position that we'd like to be in which is a position where we're trying to um resolve things on behalf of our members mm.
3: I think what the group stands for will resonate with a lot of West Ham fans. It already has in a short space of time. However, in recent times, there was another outfit that presented themselves to West Ham fans with a similar mission. They were called the real West Ham fans action group. And let's be honest, it was an absolute farce. What makes you guys different to them?
0: I think the real West Ham fans action group, um, gained a lot of popularity very quickly. Um, And I think that's because there are a lot of people who who were on board with them and who probably have come on board with us, who quite simply want to see the owners gone. And I think really it doesn't stretch beyond that. They've they've had enough and they want them gone. And we saw that with that simple messaging and with that simple promise of action, the Real West Ham fans action group, you know, over a matter of months attracted almost 20,000 people um to its Facebook page however they they were kind of uh, you know I'm not trying to I'm not trying to point fingers here but kind of boom and bust in, in in a sense that they they boomed very quickly um and then almost almost kind of busted quite quickly as well when um you know for for, for a number of reasons people um the action that was planned didn't quite pan out in the way that it was planned let's say um I think we've taken things a little bit slower, um, and our messaging has evolved. Um, we've tried to set ourselves apart um, from being a protest group to to being an independent supporters association. Um, and you know we we began with with one with one simple message, which is what I've touched on, which was which was that our members in our inaugural meeting asked us not to join the official supporters' board um and we actually spent about a year um almost a year lobbying the club for um an independent supporters construct and so that was that that time was although rapid in the context of perhaps other supporters groups around the country not rapid growth in growth in the context of the real west ham fans action group um and our first protest actually our static protest outside the london stadium was actually a protest for for independent dialogue it was only after that first protest um, that the messaging changed, and we kind of supported uh, the the GSB Out movement that had been growing over that time. Um, so I think hopefully with that with that slow growth, with that um, independent status, with that FSA affiliated status, I'm hoping that we can um, we can put something in place that has some some longevity to it i mean
2: you, you've said there that you don't want to be a protest group as such um that you you want to be a supporters' group, but then I guess the way you've kind of gained no uh you know publicity i guess and the and the thing that you're most known for is protesting um so is that not a little bit contradictory
0: I, I, I would agree that we um that we have gained a, a lot of and you know you've only got to look at when our membership started really picking up. Um, And that was around the time that we were organising protests. Um, So I think a lot of people do see us as a group who perhaps lead um, or are certainly involved in leading on that GSB Out movement. It's not our movement. We didn't create it, um, but we're certainly involved in leading on it. And that's as much as that's um, fantastic, that's put us in a strong position um, in terms of the number of members that we have. And it's also a stance that we certainly will not change unless we're instructed to do so by our membership. It's also a challenge in that if we want to be um, an independent support association who represents the fan base as a whole, we need to we need to welcome in people of of all opinions um, and we need people to understand that um, our base is purely to improve things for West Ham supporters, if that means being in protest, and if that means um, organising GSB Out protests against the individuals who own our club, then that's what we will do as a supporters group. And if it means changing that stance and doing something different because people are asking us to do that, then again, that's what we'll do as a supporters group.
2: Okay, fair enough. Um, what What do you think the group's achieved so far?
0: I think it's, it's difficult to... Um, quantify and to to make this tangible at this stage. Um, I can tell you what I feel the group has achieved. um, And what I I feel the group has achieved is that I just feel there is a a relatively strong sense of unity across the fan base at the minute. Now, you could say that that unity exists because there's, you know, adversity. (laughs) And you could say that perhaps sometimes adversity galvanises people and that it purely exists because everyone or not I can't I can't say everyone but a lot of people seem to be united behind the fact that they're not particularly happy with the with the with the ownership of the club but I I do feel a sense of unity growing amongst West Ham fans and I think you know putting eight and a half thousand people out on the greenway I, I feel was an achievement in itself but I feel it It is um, an exemplification of that unity. Um, I think in terms of what we set out to achieve, um, which was to improve things for all West Ham fans, the journey to do that can only really begin if an independent construct with the club is opened up. Um, And so a lot of our time has been put into trying to get that right and hoping that we can get that right. And so I think the first thing that we could actually tick off as a, as a quantifiable achievement would be getting that construct in place. But I think as a, as a less tangible achievement, I would say that we've, we've helped to create some, some unity among the fan base.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think fans have definitely united. I mean, that march, that uh, or protest, what you want to call it. um, One of the last few home games, obviously, very well attended. um, Got a lot of publicity. Was in the newspapers and 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 so on. So you've definitely got your the sort of the movement well known as such. Um, I think when you look at this though. you're only really going to continue to get that momentum if people feel that action is be, is actually happening in in the sense that you're meeting with the board, um, you're actually changing things at that level. Um, I mean, do you have a sort of realistic deadline when you, you're going to say we have to have had communication by this point? I mean, how long do you keep going and trying to get communication for?
0: No, we don't. We don't have a deadline um, on when that communication needs to happen, and, and ultimately, um, we need to be guided by the fan base. Um, and that's something that I want to try and uh, touch on a little bit later on. Is how we ha- how we want to go about being guided by the fan base on, on that respect. Um, I think what we have to try and do is, is decouple the ownership of the club and the um, and the opportunity to work with the club, so to speak. So um, I think we can, you know, if, if people want us to, I think we can remain in protest indefinitely. And I think we can organise protests indefinitely until such time as either the fan base decides that they're, they're happy and they don't want to protest anymore, or such time as the, the, the club is sold and we're under new ownership. But I do think that at the same time as doing that, we can continue to try and work on a construct that would give us the opportunity to improve other things besides just a change in ownership.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you might
3: have just answered this question, but what are your ultimate objectives? What do you hope to achieve further down the line?
0: So, this has been something that we've really um, we've really had an opportunity to uh, to dig deep into, to to, to really think about. Um, Because of the situation, because of the situation that we're in. It's something that we've known we've wanted to work on for a long time. And it's something that we've always been about. We've always said that we'd like to leave a legacy. We'd like to put something in place that has longevity. We'd like to put something in place that um, will allow West Ham fans of future generations to have perhaps a better experience than we do. Um, And, you know, the current situation has meant that we've had a lot of time to, to, to think on that and to talk on that and to research on that. Um, And that long term vision um, and a long term plan, if you like, is something that I'd like to get into tonight and, and allow people to have a sense of where we're going with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely come on to that um, uh, in the interview, mate. I mean, you've talked about it a little bit there. Um, Has COVID disrupted your plans? Because obviously the momentum of the the protests were really beginning to gather pace. Um, The owners had pressure put on them. You know, I said it on my section that they were beginning to sort of feel the pressure of the movement so to speak and then obviously we went into lockdown and there was no one going to games and obviously the the marching and protesting stopped was that a massive dent in the
0: progress that you were making of course i think it was a dent in them um, i think it was a dent in pretty much progress of uh of anything that anyone was doing at the time and yeah. you know i've described it before as respite and that's what i see it as i know it's a long period of respite i know people are frustrated but i've described it as respite but I also think it's important for us to understand um, why protest exists, and and why protest, or, or, or sorry, why protest in this particular instance could be successful. Uh, you know it, what you're trying to get out of it. Because I think the opportunity to to protest in terms of a mass demonstration, a, a mass physical demonstration, is the most traditional sense of of, of protest, and. Gives people an opportunity to vent. Let's be honest, people. People feel like they're giving an opportunity to turn up and express how they feel. Um, but really, the, the the way that I see us having a having an impact or an effect on the on the current ownership at the club is, I think, having the media run with um, run with the messaging. I think that's the way that you impact the current ownership of the club. Now, the reason that I say that is that the current ownership of the club spent a long time at Birmingham, and in that time at Birmingham, it's it's no secret that they were quite unpopular. Um, So I have no doubt that in their time at Birmingham, they received uh, a fair bit of criticism and probably would have developed a relatively thick skin. Um, And we've also seen in in their time at West Ham... That they have received a fair bit of criticism, and probably have a fairly thick skin. So whilst um, whilst turning up at a protest is a great way to feel that you're part of, um, of venting something, I think it is really important for people to be able to to sense that. And it was actually I actually thought it was a great day. I actually really really enjoyed the day. Um, I don't think the owners are necessarily concerned with somebody confronting them. I don't think they're necessarily concerned with even with West Ham fans being dissatisfied, I think what they're concerned with is and you do see this played out in the media. I think what they're concerned with is if the media pick this up and run with it, what does that do to their potential business interests in the future and I think we always we can always tell when we're when we're getting somewhere because what you see is um you see the rhetoric from from both sides being played out in in sometimes the national media, you look at things like Talk Sport and you, you you kind of get a sense of when there's you know when when there when there's unrest because certain messaging starts to appear on Talk Sport. And I think that's where you um, that's where you have an impact, let's say.
3: Let's say the impact forces their hand to move on let's just say that's the case and they can't take any more and they cash their chips and they just walk away from the club. What is the alternative? Is there an argument to say that you have to be careful what you wish for and that potentially new owners might come in who we hate even more? And if that's the case, what's the point in protesting without knowing what you're protesting for in terms of an alternative?
0: There is an argument for that. And you've only got to look at any other, any other football club and the history of West Ham United Football Club to see that discontent with owners is pretty cyclical. Um, mm. You know, I've said on I've said on other podcasts before. I can remember um, when I was a, when I was a lot younger, buying myself a, a Saint George's Cross flag, painting in black letters brown out across the front of it, and standing <laughs> outside the standing outside Upton Park. I think it was a night game, maybe Southampton at home, standing outside the boardroom, and you know, I can remember getting that flag on the telly at Villa Park and like, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's cyclical. And, and, and I've no doubt that um, if we carry on doing things as we've always done, and by that I mean owners and supporters, I've no doubt that whoever the new owners were or would be in another five or 10 or 15 years time, like almost every other club in the country, we'll find ourselves back in that cycle again. I think that's where, where Hammers United have done a lot of thinking And again, it comes back to what I'd I'd like to talk about tonight, about what can the impact of a supporters group be? What can the impact of fans be to try to make sure that we don't end up in that position again with whoever those new owners might be?
2: I mean, is it quite simply we need a, a billionaire shake? Is that literally the answer?
0: I think, you have to, I think you have to ask yourself, and this, again, is something that, that we've done some, some thinking on. I think you have to ask yourself what you want out of your football club. And I think this is where sometimes, um, this is where the disconnect, I believe, stems from. Because uh, the logical answer to, to that would be, well, I want my football club to win. Mm. But I think if you step back from that a second and think, is that actually what I want? Is that really what I want? I just want my football club to win games. Because if you asked a five-year-old what they want, they would say I want my football club to win games. Mm. But as you become almost indoctrinated in that world of going to football or supporting your football club, and as you become an adult, you start to realise that it's about a lot more than that. And I had this—it was almost a—it was almost a, <laughs> a realisation actually—in uh, in the last World Cup with with England. So I. For a while, I, I think, like many people, I'd kind of fallen out of love with watching England. Um, and in the last World Cup, I, I absolutely loved it. Loved it. I, like, in the semi-final, you know, I, I know we lost, but that, will, that semi-final will be one of the most memorable moments in my lifetime. And mm. I, so I started to question to myself, well, why, why did I not like the England football team before? Why did I fall out of love with it? And then why did I enjoy that World Cup so much? We didn't win. And what, what I kind of realised was that actually part of it was the winning, but part of it was the feeling, the, the, again, the, the, the feeling that wasn't tangible across the whole country, but the feeling of like all your mates, just getting together and just having a just just having a great time watching football. You know, we went up to um we went up to one of the big screens in London for the semi final, and it was just such a great day out. Um, and it's everything around the football. I think that that really, really supporters want their club to do well. And actually, I also think English people like losing. English people like being the underdogs. English people love saying that they support a non-league team, or English people love saying that they support a team who's terrible, or English people love saying that they've travelled four hours and they got back at two o'clock in the morning. And they, you know, English people love the story of an underdog and of it never quite working out. I don't think English people want to support Man City.
2: Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying, definitely. And I think like for me when i look back to my favourite time supporting west ham it's probably mid to late 90s and i think like you say it was more not because we were overly successful then because i don't think we were that much more successful than than we are now but there was just a certain different feel to it it might have been my age possibly because you know football's your life even more so then than it is now but i do i do understand what you're saying it's not necessarily right we want to be man city because you want to just buy the best players it is that kind of that whole experience of what is enjoyable about your club. And yeah, we, I think we've definitely lost that certainly since the stadium move, I, w- I would say. Um, now we've obviously talked a bit about the communication you've tried to have. Have you had any communication with the board? And when I say the board, we're talking, obviously Sullivan, um, Golden Brady, has the group actually been able to interact with them at all?
0: We have. Um, I, I don't want to divulge um details because what we have received is a is a handful over time we have received a handful of personal emails um is that not
2: against your your transparency though it it is yeah hmm. i
0: i I get i get completely what you're saying there but um the way i see this is that um if a if a person is is uh, my my personal opinion is that sending those personal emails to us on the odd occasion was perhaps a slightly um was a poor decision if you ask me um Mm -hmm. i think it was a slightly misguided thing to do and i don't think it would be fair of us to um exploit what i saw as a as a poor decision um since you know what, though,
2: mate, and I don't mean to see like I'm arguing with you, though, <laughs> when you when you said you were setting out with your season ticket um thing, you said you wanted to prove that the board were lying. Well, now you've got the perfect example—maybe not a lie, but certainly poor decision making—to expose that. You got it right now.
0: Absolutely, but you want one of the things that we've always said is that we want to do things the right way, um, okay. and we we want we. We're in this for the long haul and we want to maintain credibility. Now we've pushed pushed hard for, for dialogue with the club, and we believe that dialogue should come in an appropriate format, um, it, you know, uh, an official format where we can sit down with the club and um, express the way that supporters feel. And, you know, don't get us wrong. If, I, if supporters want us to say certain things in, in, in certain meetings, we, we, will, we will more than happily say them across the table. We'd certainly much rather be saying, saying them across the table than we would shouting them from outside the ground. Mm. Um, but I think if, um, if someone then takes it upon themselves to send um, to send an email that, that perhaps they might have later, you know, regretted maybe, because it, it kind of bypasses the, the process that you're asking for, um I don't think we should necessarily be looking to exploit that.
3: No, mm-hmm. okay, fair, fair enough. How do you want the ball to work alongside you? I mean is that even possible when you're GSB out? Can you be
0: both? I think that's I think the, the, the crux of that question is is decoupling the board from the club. Um, I think if we were asked right now to go and meet with the board i e to sit in a room with um, you know with Sullivan. With Brady and with Gold, I think the conversation would be as simple as: Please, can you put the club up for sale? This is what the supporters would like you to do. What is your asking price? What can we do to help find a buyer? Is there any way we can come to a resolution whereby we get new ownership? However, if we're to sit in a room with the club per se, um, supporter liaison officer, you know, head of ticketing, head of stewarding, whatever it might be, if we get that, if we get that format and that kind of dialogue yes our ultimate goal if you like right now is to to see new ownership at the club but it doesn't mean we can neglect everything else so you know if people have been um relocated uh, through this through this stadium reconfiguration and they've been moved away from their family we can't just say to them it's all right as soon as we get new ownership it will be sorted out so i think you you know I, i do think it's possible to work on both levels
3: it makes me think, well, what's the incentive for the board or the club mm. to sit down with you? Because if yeah. I'm the owners of a football club, I'm thinking, well, what's in this for me? Yeah, because
2: definitely.
3: you guys want me out. You're going to be protesting. You want us to sell the club. Why? What am I going to get from sitting down with you guys?
0: <laughs> well what is the incentive of, um, of the current ownership to, to stick around at West Ham United? I, I, I not really able to answer that question. If I, if I was to try and look at it through their lens, um, I would be much more comfortable owning a football club where, um, I know that I'm appreciated and that people, uh, value the, the, the no doubt time and effort that it takes to run that football club. I, I don't think they're making money out of It would be my guess. Um, I mean, they're taking, they're, they are taking interest on their, on their loans, but it, you know, the club appears to be skin. Um, so I, 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 am not sure they're making a great deal of money out of it. So in terms of what is their motivation, I, I know you asked the question about their motivation to sit down with us, but for me, I would kind of come back and say, well, well, what is their motivation to be, to be at the club full stop at the minute? Um, I understand that it is kind of a juxtaposition to say, well, look, we, we, um, you know we we don't like the club but we do like the club is almost what i'm saying but unfortunately that is the um the, the unique position that football fans do find themselves in where they have that internal struggle of i love my club but i also hate some of what's going on at my club but i can't i can't leave i can't go, i can't go and shop at another you know i can't go can't can't go to, to millwall i can't go and support millwall i'm stuck so yes i have to engage and try to improve something on some level if i can but also, I have to make my feelings known. And if that means that the board, uh, you know, will say, well, look, we're, we're not going to engage them. We're not going to talk to you. We're just going to turn a blind eye to everything. I, I would I would say more for them. But, you know, it's, it's, it's up to them to take whatever direction they think is fit. Um, if I was in their shoes personally, I, I would want to keep my um, in inverted commas enemies close. But that is, you know, that's <laughs> that's their call. Yeah, I, I, do you know
3: what? I think I can see that being your biggest challenge. This and do you know what? <laughs> it's so strange because what works in your favour as a fan, but doesn't in terms of a protest group. Forgive me for that description, is the fact that the club are doing well at the moment. So we're, we're winning games. So yeah, from from their perspective, and no doubt they are stressed out. In fact, I think they are. I, I, I don't think they're enjoying running this football club at all. And if you're of that mindset. And you are thinking, fucking another day running West Ham, I don't need this. And I've got shit there, shit there, shit everywhere. And am I going to want to sit down and be told what a bad job I'm doing for this football club? But do you know what? What would help pile that pressure on is for them to want to appease the fans to some degree and use you as a channel to appease them by trying to report something back to you that's half credible. But of course, because we're playing well at the moment and we're picking up results... That's probably the way that they're going to be choosing to appease fans at the moment, rather than sit down with a group like yours.
0: Absolutely, I, I agree that um, uh, there's there's two ways that I would that, that I would approach the answer to that. I would say that I I agree, and it seems logical, that if someone is offering you um, the chance to improve something, or you have a you have a vehicle like you say to try and improve something, why wouldn't you take it and i think a lot of people would have asked that question a lot of times over the previous 10 years and the only answer that i could come up with and this is not an accusation this is just me trying to think logically is that you don't care because if you you know if you see right okay um check, taking london off the badge would appease the fans let's just take something completely random this would be this would this would stand us in good stead this would help us out here Mm. But but we but we don't do it. Um, and I, and it, the only conclusion that I can come to logically is that it must be. Well, we don't care. We don't care. But the other, you know, the other thing you mentioned there about the team doing well, um, I'm going to say I'm going to say something that that I feel ashamed saying and that I feel really sad saying. When we were um, building up to our protest, when the team were not doing well. I I was, I was kind of, I I won't say I was enjoying it, but I was kind of thinking to myself, this could help our cause here. This could actually help us. And I, and I'm, you know, I, I feel, I feel horrible saying that. I feel horrible saying that I'm, I'm watching West Ham thinking, well, do you know what? If we do lose, this might actually help us out. And I think at the time it did. I think at the time, uh, you know, we can't shy away from the fact that we were we were doing really badly on the pitch. And I think it didn't cause wounds, but I think it opened up wounds that were already there. Um, And it did. It did, you know, encourage people to join up and encourage people to protest. Now I feel completely the opposite. Now I feel that the um, the conversation and this is uh, this is, I think, the crux of the problem between owners and football fans. The conversation goes in the direction of the results, the transfers, what's happening on the pitch. Now, let's be honest. No one has really got ultimate control over that. You can't control what happens on the pitch. And I think it's futile trying to control it. I think you listen to the rhetoric that they push out on Talk TalkSport when, when they feel pressured. And that is, we've spent money. We've signed players. We've been unlucky. You know, my response to that would be, I don't actually care. <laughs> the one thing, you know, ironically, that I wouldn't actually level at these owners, the one, the one thing I wouldn't level at them is the fact that they haven't invested. I think they have. I think they have, from time to time, put money in. Have they spent it wisely? Have they got a scouting system? My opinion would be absolutely not. But now and again, I think they have put their money in. Have they got it back with high interest? Who okay another conversation but i think they have now and again tried to bring success on the pitch but i think if you're looking at that angle that is the completely the wrong angle and that's why I, i'm i'm desperate now even more than i ever was for west ham to win what i what i want is west ham to win and then the campaign to go from strength to strength where people keep turning around and saying fantastic we love our team we love our club we love our manager you know brilliant is the Messiah, whatever, you know, we're flying up the league, we're into champion, but we still need new ownership. And this is what we need to get onto. We need new ownership because, and that's, I think, the question that we've got to start to answer. And that's what
2: I was going to ask, because ultimately if the team is playing well, getting Champions League football, you're loving the manager, you're loving the players, what more do you want really? And, you, and we've talked about the chairman um, of other clubs, not necessarily or, and chairman in the in the past of West Ham, that there's always been this kind of regular feeling that the chairman don't quite deliver. But if, the, if West Ham was to get Champions League football, then I, I, I think we'd be almost not greedy that's not maybe the right word but i'd kind of think to myself what more do we do they want and so then what that leads on to is that you'd say maybe you know like you did taking london off the badge and it's things like that and getting the identity back well then if the team are playing well on the pitch you'll have that communication hopefully with the chairman where you'll say right drop London drop this do this so you'll be working alongside the board and hopefully they'll be listening so then are you still going to want GSB out at that point I mean if I was them I would say to you guys I'm just thinking from their perspective and perhaps that's what they did to the myself and Dave and all the other groups that attended meetings in the past I would say um right yeah we will drop London there you go right tell Said, what else you want, right? Okay, we'll do that, we'll do that, and we'll keep you on the side that way, and then then surely you're not going
0: to want them out anymore. My personal opinion on that is that the is that the behavior of someone tells you their motives. Um, people behave in certain ways for, for reasons, there's always a reason behind your behaviour. Um, and if I look at the the, the string of um behaviour incidents, you know, from a teacher saying behavior incident, but mm. if I look at the string of behaviour incidents over the last 10 years it tells me um, that the motive is perhaps not, not in line with mine, is perhaps not a sound one. Now, I'm also aware that we're not necessarily going to get an owner who's, um, who's in, well, I mean, we've got an owner who's a West Ham fan, um, but you, you're not going to necessarily get someone who's rich and who thinks the same way as someone who isn't rich. And I think that's where um, owners and football fans have to find a connect and at the minute, at our club and too many clubs, there's a disconnect, and I and I personally think the reason for that is that they think they're striving for the same thing, but in actual fact they're not, and in, in, it goes back to why um, it goes back to why we like football, and why did football become such a heavily monetized and commercialized entity? Mm. So I think for the person who's getting into football and for the person who is commercializing that entity they like football for the same reason now the person who's getting into football they like football because of the beauty of the game itself because of the fact that there is no other sport where the moment of scoring a point is so important in the context of the game there is no other sport where you would travel however many miles you travel to go and watch a nil-nil and still have had a good day or to get a last, a one-nil and to be celebrating a one-nil. Cricket, badminton, table tennis, basketball, pick any sport you want. There is no other sport where that one moment of ecstasy is so important. And that, I believe, is why people enjoy playing and watching football at a young age. And also, I believe that is why the game... Itself, the the actual game, the 90 minutes on the pitch is so heavily monetized and so heavily sponsored and commercialized because the game itself is an absolute thing of beauty that people will always love. So I think any any owner would assume, right, do well at the game and the fans are going to be happy. I think the problem comes when 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 adult fans sometimes also assume if we were doing well, I'd be happy. And they perhaps they perhaps don't ask themselves the question, well, well, A, why am I never happy? And B, just just what is it then that I actually want? And I think I think that comes to the um, the benefits that come with supporting a football club are slightly different to the reasons why you you fall in love with football in the first place. So you, you fall in love with the game, the simplicity of the game, the beauty of the game, the ecstasy of scoring a goal. But when you start supporting a club and even more, and I don't mean any disrespect to people that don't go to games, but even more, when you start going to games, you fall in love with so much more than the simplicity of the game itself. You become tribal in your, um, in your loyalty. You become so attached to an area of the country. You build friendships and relationships that, that last you for a lifetime. You get an escape from your, you know, from from your from your week from your week at work. Um, you you know, you, you sing songs together. You you socialize together. You drink together. You eat together. You you you, you celebrate together. You, you you feel despair together. And you and that's that that's that, that's a basic human connection and human need is all, feeling all of those emotions together with other people. And for me, that's what football becomes about as you begin to support a team and grow older and understand everything that exists around the game itself. And I think that then where the disconnect exists between owners and supporters is that if owners are sitting there thinking, well, all these people are turning up, paying their money or paying their Sky subscription. As long as we can just stay in the Premier League, deliver a few results, everyone must be happy they're paying. They keep going. They must be enjoying it. They're paying this guy. Look, let's just win on the pitch. Just make a few better transfers next season. Better results next season. But actually, the brand, if you like, becomes stronger if you connect with those supporters. And I think the supporters need to need to drill down into well, what do we actually want? Because yes, of course, we want the results on the pitch, but we want the pub where we always go with our mates. We want the stalls where we sit, where we have a laugh on the way to the ground. We want the ground was close to the game and we can have the atmosphere. We want the stewards who know us by name and who, you know, we we want the um, ability to go and watch our team on the road and a fair ticketing process. We want um, some payback for that. We want a bit of free travel to and from the gate, whatever it is, we just want to feel connected to others and part of our club and part of that family. And I think that's why the disconnect in football exists. And that's what we've got to try and pinpoint as West Ham fans. And then we've got to try and put it back. Um, obviously, there's been lots of, like we've talked about it before, lots
2: of supporters groups that have formed. You know, the club have set them up. I, I lose track of what their names are, what they are now. They seem to start one and then they emerge to merge into something else. And anyway, there's two or three other groups out there, let's say, that that have got, I guess, similar objectives. Are you... Are you working with them are you were in competition with them um where do we stand and and you know how do you choose which one that you're meant to sort of affiliate
0: with when there's others out there i, th- I think uh, i think um affiliate is the is the answer to your question so you've got um fsa affiliated um independent supporters associations um and those fsa affiliated independent independent supporters associations are all are all fsa affiliated for a reason so to use that word in the context that you've used it, if you're a West Ham fan and you're wondering who to uh, affiliate with, choose choose one or more of the of the FSA affiliates. Um, you know, there's certain um, certain things that a group has to do to, to be an affiliate, um, and that I believe means that that you're that you're dealing with it with a credible group. Um, I think for you know if I'm going to say why should somebody join Hammers United. Um, I would say that we are, um, we're trying to think outside the box. We're trying to think long term. We're trying to push for um, a solution that will, that will serve us well, but that will also serve future generations well. Um, and the, the first step of us actually detailing what we mean and, and quantifying what we mean with all these nice sound bites and nice statements is um, a survey that we're going to have coming out in early December. Um, it's actually a survey that's going to be open to, to, to any West Ham fan. Um, we have been in consultation with the FSA about creating this survey and how to how to push this survey, how to channel this survey, where to aim it. And they advised us, don't, don't restrict it to your members. If it's something that you're trying to, we're trying to establish some principles here, something to base this from. They've said, open it out to everyone. Get as many West Ham fans as you possibly can to simply tell you What is it that they like about their club? It's their club, it's their voice. Get them, get all of them, whoever they're affiliated to, to fill out the survey and give you some principles to start working from, to start to actually pin down, nail down some of these specifics behind some of the nice sentiments that you have as a group.
3: Andy is going to be answering more questions, this time from patrons of the West Ham Way after this.
0: In in number, like
3: to listen to the rest of this podcast, you need to be a patron of the West End Way. Becoming a patron couldn't be easier. Just visit www.patreon.com forward slash the West End Way and confirm your subscription to get full access to the West End Way podcast, our second weekly show called the West End Way podcast, extra time, classic clips of audio and video interviews, exclusive news from X match day team news before anyone else, an exclusive forum, Live Q&As with myself and ex, monthly prize draws, discounts on events and merchandise, and behind-the-scenes content, all of which for just £5 a month.
1: Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbours are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished a new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows. So you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds.
2: And if you don't want
1: to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? (laughs) For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.
3: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.